Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. Once again, the iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links. Thanks for checking us out live on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and of course, we can't leave out those listening on the podcast network or watching after the fact. We welcome and appreciate you as well as we have one hell of a matchup on the show this week, a rare weekend off without the UFC or Bellator. We got Kombache Global, we got XFC, we have CFFC, a pair of events from them and others. So if you want MMA, you can find it, but you'll find MMA banter right here on this program is the interim BTL title is on the line and I'm excited to get this thing rolling. So let us introduce the challenger, one of the best wordsmiths in the game. Without a doubt, she is excited to take on our interim champ. She's the host of the Best Camp of My Life podcast, which is a must-listen, no doubt about that. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. Let us say hello to Fernanda Prachis. Fernanda, thank you for being here. How are you? Thank you for having me. Yeah, you said I'm excited. Uh, Excited slash terrified. I feel like I'm going into this matchup with no expectations. I really just want to make it through the five rounds, you know? Win or lose, that's the goal here today. We will make it. Uh, we will make it as simple as possible for you as we introduce our reigning, <laughs> defending interim BTL champion. Got himself, in a lot of people's opinion, a split decision win over Alex Kaylee last week on the show to regain some hardware. The man with the fiery takes that good, bad, and different, and evokes emotion. No doubt about that. From MMAfighting.com, Mr. Jed Mishu. Jed, how are you, sir? Who, who the hell thinks I got a split decision? I body back gameplay. Yeah, Triple Yan was the. We were done. We could have just cut the show at that point. It was over. That's nonsense, Mike, and you know it. <laughs> I just had to say that because I have to hear how you kind of deal yeah. with these intros, and we know what kind of mode oh. you're going to be in, and we're in good shape. I also won't lie, the Triple Yan train took a bit of a hit this weekend, but we'll get into that. <laughs> it did. It did. So. We will get into all of that and more. And while there's no UFC event this weekend, a lot came out of their offering this past weekend. UFC Vegas 27. Uh, we, we have a new title contender at 135 pounds. We're going to begin there. Rob Font earns a dominant 
Unanimous decision win over Cody Garbrandt in the main event five days ago. Swept two of the judges' scorecards. One judge, with all due respect to Cody Garbrandt, that judge was obviously watching a completely different fight because he scores at 48-47. I have no idea how anybody comes up with 48-47 when it comes to that fight. But the New England cartel bounces back. Rob Font gets the biggest win of his career. And Jed, we're going to begin with you this week. Rob Font is not much of a talker. He's a classic let my fists do the talking kind of guy. And he let them speak very loudly for 25 minutes on Saturday. So I'm curious, what did you learn from Rob Font's first main event and first main event victory on Saturday night? I think we may have learned that Rob Font is the best bantamweight in the world. <laughs> like I asked that in our, uh, like our private chat after the fight, not like, not even with a, a Jed question, you know, where I don't really believe the thing I'm saying. Like, I have legitimate questions if Rob Fawn is the best bantamweight in the world. And I'd like to go into why. Because, look, I'm not a Cody Garbrandt guy. We've heard me on this show say bad things about Cody Garbrandt because I think that he is a very make-funnable fighter. It's very easy to make fun of Cody Garbrandt. He he really likes to just win shots and then get knocked out. Uh, that's not what happened. Like, I thought coming into this fight, Rob Font could, could do that. Like, Rob Font punches hard, and Cody Garbrandt, that's a a big weakness of him, is people who punch hard. So, like, I thought that's totally possible. What I didn't think were going to happen is watch Cody Garbrandt get freaking styled on for 25 minutes, and that is what we got. Like, Rob Font has always had a great jab, but, like, he just pieced Garbrandt up, and Garbrandt is ostensibly a good boxer. Like, I, I now have to rethink everything I thought I knew about Cody Garbrandt, because like maybe just maybe what happened is is what I've said before, kind of kind of jokingly. Maybe Cody Garbrandt just had one kick-ass performance in his career against Dominic Cruz, and that was it. Like that's he's just a good fighter who's gonna have some good ones and and some bad ones. But on that night of the biggest stage of his career, he was dialed to a hundred because he looked freaking lost against Rob Font almost immediately. Like yeah, I I agree the. 48-47 scorecard is pretty insane. But, like, the only way you could view it is, at least in the first round, like, Garbrandt was behind, but he he didn't seem like he was defeated. But then after that, like, he just – he was just getting pieced up. And as I look at the rest of the division, like, I, I know Font has some recent losses or, you know, not too far in the past. But I, I – he's got a real chance against anybody at the top, like, just straight up. Uh, I, I guess I'd maybe favor Aljo, um, but it's, it's hard for me to kind of view Aljo just because how that fight against Peter Jan went. Uh, but like Font has a real chance there because he, his jab is so damn good. And like against, against Peter Jan, I, I would love to see that fight. I hope we get it because I, I also think that Font has, you know, close to 50-50 against anybody in the world, which is not something I thought I was going to say, regardless of, you know, if he had come out and knocked out Cody Garbrandt, like, immediately, I think I would have thought less of him. Not not less, but, like, I wouldn't have the same reaction because that's that was in the realm of what I thought was possible. I just didn't think for 25 minutes he would make Cody Garbrandt seem entirely useless because we haven't really seen that from anybody. Even the people that have knocked him out haven't, uh, you know, 
de-weaponized him, which is really what Font did. Like, he took everything away from him. It was a sensational performance. And I'm mistaken my flag in the ground. It's the best man away in the world. Get on the train now because he's the best guy. All right. A passionate plea from Jed Mishu about Rob Font's status in this Bantamweight division. Fernanda, after you know hearing what Jed just had to say, he is ready to put his flag in the ground that Rob Font is the best Bantamweight in the world right now. Did that performance give you that same feeling deep down inside? Or at least what did you learn about Rob Font that maybe you didn't know already? I don't know if I'm ready to go that far in my analysis. I will say this. What I learned from Rob Font in this fight is that I was incredibly wrong about Rob Font. Not that I didn't know that he was skilled and, you know, that he had power and he he was always an exciting fighter. We all knew that. But I think, and this is not an indictment of his skills in any way. It's an indictment of me being a fucking asshole. Sorry, an asshole. Um, (laughs) I forget this is not my podcast and that I should, you know, be polite. Um, sorry, listeners and viewers. I'm not used to a big platform. I'm used to like five people listening (laughs) to me. Um, but I, I kind of had him in my head already categorized in the, I don't want to say gatekeeper because we know it's like a bad word. Uh, it's, it's, I wouldn't say that, but like in my head, I had kind of almost already decided Rob Font was not title challenger material. Again, this is this was me being stupid, but I guess I've seen him falter in big moments before. Um, we've seen the losses. So in my head, I had kind of like done that already. And then the the Mahlon fight, which I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should be paying more attention. And like Jad, I don't know if I should be agreeing with Jad. I think this defeats the purpose of the show. But like him, I was kind of like... I, I knew he could win. I was not that firmly on the Cody uh, wagon. I knew absolutely he could win that fight, but I wouldn't have been as impressed if he had come out and just knocked him out, right? Like what we saw was just beautiful. And for a long time, it was just a sustained orchestra of violence. And I was not expecting that at all. It was extremely impressive, but it's just such a weird for me fight to access because I'm sure we're going to talk about Cody Garbrandt in this. And a lot of the talk has been Cody Garbrandt gassed. Cody Garbrandt, you know, we know he was coming off this really terrible battle with with COVID and he had blood clots. And we know, you know, these things don't heal overnight. Uh, Did he not look as good as he could have? This, to me, is one of those fights where you really have that question of how much of it was Rob being so on that he made Cody Garbrandt look terrible? How much was Cody... Not looking terrible. I don't think he looked terrible. I mean, he was there uh, throughout. He, I guess, answered some questions about his chin, which we have had justifiably for a while now. He tried different things. He didn't come out as aggressively. You know, so to me, I've still been thinking about the fight in terms of what does it tell me from about each athlete. To me, that's like the hard thing to separate. But Long story short, I don't know if I'm ready to say that Rob Font is the best bantamweight in the world yet because he still has a few people, at least a couple, to fight for me to be able to make that statement definitively. He's the best. All right, and sort of... Because, <laughs> you know, Cody, you, there's a reason Cody Garbrandt got tired. It's shocking. 
People seem to get tired when they get their ass whooped. I'm noticing that as a trend in the <laughs> People gas out when they're getting their face jabbed off. Yeah, look, I'm there. That's I, true. It, I, I didn't get there immediately, but I started wondering post-fight, and I, I rewatched the fight. I don't think Cody fought poorly, honestly. Like, Cody tried to do some mm-hmm. different things, but the problem was everything he tried to do, he just got his ears boxed for it. Like, when he tried to come <laughs> forward and lose the dance, he got jawed, like, several times, and that's when you started to see him being like, okay, I don't want to do that. I'm going to come back up and sit against the cage. Mm-hmm. Instead, he got sniper shot him. Like Rob Font's the best man in weight. Until somebody beats him, I'm I'm gonna say that forever now. Like that's where I'm Until somebody beats him. You do know he has been beaten before. Just just so we're getting this out of the way here. Everybody except Habib's been beaten before. Nobody's a beat, but that's fine. Okay. He got beat three years ago. Who cares about three years ago? The current champ got beat okay. the night he won the belt. So fine. <laughs> well, okay, to, to sort of- spicy takes. <laughs> That's I feel right. like I that's, need to that's, that's right. up, up the heat on my end. I feel like this is okay. Now I know what I'm that's playing what, with here. That's what Jed brings to the table. That's why he's here so often because of these fiery takes. He makes everybody <laughs> think. So normally after a performance like that, and, and then you add on top of that, which Fernando talked about the big finish of Marl Marias, the four fight winning streak. We are on the show right now talking about potential title shot for Rob Fawn. And in most any other division, We might be doing that. However, this is the Bantamweight division and timing is the biggest enemy of Rob Fonts because Aljamain Sterling's recovering from neck surgery. He's hoping to be back in November. Whether that happens, we don't know. Piotr Jan, most likely opponent. UFC confirmed today that Corey Sandhagen, TJ Dillashaw, that fight is official for July 24th. So the big thing in my mind coming out of Saturday was was it better that Font went first or was it worse that he went first? And that remains to be seen. But Fernanda, let me sort of tap into this wisdom that you bring to everything you touch because I spoke to Rob Font yesterday. He said that the best case scenario for him would be for Peter, Peter Jan's urge to fight just become so massive that he just fights Rob Font as soon as possible just to fight because he doesn't want to wait any longer for Aljamain Sterling. He did mention some other ideas. He didn't think that was like a strong possibility, but best case scenario, he said the UFC gives you Piotr Jan right now because he wants to fight. But all in all, he's fine waiting to see how this all plays out. So I'm curious, where does Rob Font go from here? Yeah, I think everybody has, we're scratching our heads collectively on that one, right? And I think he did. The wisest move right now for me, for him would be to wait. Uh, exactly what he what he's saying is kind of like, I think we all just agreed that the, what's going to happen out to the title is that Aljamain Sterling is going to have another fight with Peter Jan. But like you said, Aljamain is recovering from neck surgery. And I know he's optimistic about his timetable, uh, but we've seen in the past that these surgeries can be a little complicated. So, you know, his recovery might end up taking a little longer. And I do not think it's a crazy idea that the UFC might end up being like, you know what, let's do an interim title and have Peter fight um, Rob, which and in that case, the timing would have been on his favor, right? Because he's 
in a position where the timing is both terrible and great, right? I think that he's primed for a title shot. Um, that, you know, the wins that he has, the moment that he's having right now, like in a, an ideal world, like this is a, a few months from now is when he's, he gets his shot at the title and he happens to be in a division where that's just not going to happen right now. It's all really tied up. Um, another maybe interesting fight for him would be Aldo. Aldo's scheduled Munoz. We have Sanhagen. We have, like I said, Sanhagen and TJ. So in that sense, the timing is bad for him. In another sense, we have a sort of murky uh, timetable for Aljamain Sterling's return. Uh, we have a lot of cancellations happening all the time. We have, you know, just the possibility that one thing falling through, he's in that position to swoop, to to just swoop right in. So for him right now, I would think it's advisable to wait because of that possibility. And he has said, I, I know you talked to him, I read your story, and I know he said uh, right after the press fight conference that he's okay with waiting a little bit, right? So, because he doesn't want to fight down. And I totally see that. Why? Who would he fight now? Like, why would he want to fight Marab Vashvili? Like, that's a terrible fight for him. It, it's, it makes no sense. So either he waits a little bit and, you know, the best case scenario really is kind of idealistic, but at the same time, it could happen. Or he fights a name, right? Um, top of my head, Frankie Edgar, Dominic Cruz. I know I'm throwing Dominic Cruz in the mix might make me a monster, but then again, several other things do. Um, but I do think that those are would be the best avenues for him. But if he's okay with waiting, I'd say wait it out a little bit and just wait for some kind of re of resolution there. Because I don't know, I think it's a, it would be a shame for him to lose this timing, to not be able to get a shot at the title because he lost to somebody a little lower than him, you know. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. But I think that all of us are kind of in that same position. What do you think, Jed? Because Although Sanhagen has looked phenomenal in his last two fights, Sterling ran through him less than a year ago and put him away in the first round. So is Rob Font now the president of the Corey Sanhagen and Aljamain Sterling fan clubs right now? Like, is he just hoping that both of those guys win, win emphatically, because maybe that gives him the shorter path to the belt? Or do you think it doesn't really matter? He's going to have to possibly fight behind him in the rankings, and he's going to have to fight at least one more time before he gets a title shot. So in a just world, he would just get the next title shot because he's the best bantamweight in the world. So he should just kind of <laughs> get the best bantamweight in the world. He should but just get the crown, not even well, the yeah, shot. He, he, he should, should just tell him. He should get the title shot because he's the best, and that's how justice should work. But Daniel Cormier said mm -hmm. it this week, there's no justice in the UFC, so that's not going to happen. The The reality is it, it's pretty clear to me what's going to happen. He sits around. He fights the winner of TJ Sandhagen. I – the day that Aljo won the title, uh, which I, I did previously mock, but I actually totally stand by that as a legitimate title win. I feel like he should be <laughs> champion because you're an idiot if you throw that knee. Uh, so if if I were calling all the shots, Aljo would face the winner of Sandhagen uh, Dillashaw for the belt because I don't think you should reward Peter, uh, Peter Jan's stupidity by just giving him an immediate <laughs> chance to run it back. Uh, and in that scenario, then Jan versus Font, like that's clear cut next title challenger. Instead, it's just going to be inverted. The UFC is going to eventually run back uh, Jan Aljo, and then the winner of that it can fight the winner of the winner of Sandhagen and Dillashaw versus Font. I think it's just pretty clear cut. Uh, you know, uh, 
and it's just easy, right? Like it's just, it's the timelines match up. July July is that that fight. Alger doesn't seem like he's coming back till the fall. So you run Sandhagen, uh, Dillashaw in July. You make co-main event on the Aljo Yan fight. The the matchup between Font and the winner of that. Easy peasy lemon squeezy. Yeah, that seems like the most sensical thing. But I mean, it's just it just kind of sucks for Sandhagen because he's like right there, and most people thought like after the Edgar win, like he should just get a title shot, and then all of this like, yeah, craziness happened with the title insane. fight. Like that's <laughs> that's just a categorically insane thing. Like I I get it. That was a freaking great knockout. I'm sorry. What is Sandhagen's winning streak? Like why does he deserve a title shot because he knocked out old Frankie Al- Edgar with a knee? Like he got he got Marias and Edgar. Like that's that's two really good wins. Like that's not, ah, got to give him the title shot. He needs another one. Well, it, it, obviously font interesting conundrum conundrum for him right now. But on the other side, we have Cody Garbrandt who has now lost four out of five. A lot of people thought, you know, that the, the, the world champion Cody Garbrandt was back. Maybe even a more improved version of that after the crazy knockout win over Rafael Asunso last year. And he was slated to fight Davis and Figueiredo for the flyweight title at the end of last year. But then the COVID thing happened. He had some gnarly effects from that. And then Brandon Moreno got in there and they're going to fight again in a little over two weeks. I can't wait for that fight. Now you get Askar Askarov in there winning fights at 125. And he's just booking wins like crazy. So... Cody's in a tough spot right now, Jed, a crossroads, if you will. So where does he go from here? Like we talked about Font being the best band in the world and, and what that can mean for him. But on the other side, where does no love go? No love goes to get slept by Figgy Smalls. Like that's They're just going to run that back. All right, let's give him his title shot. And I, I think maybe the first time I was ever on this show, I won by saying, I can't wait to watch Cody Garbrandt throw bolos with Figgy Smalls until he gets got. And that it's a year delayed, but that's where we're heading, man. Like, that's cool. I'll watch the hell out of that fight, both because Figgy Smalls is the man and because it's super fun to watch Cody Garbrandt get blasted. Uh, but also, it's probably a pretty good fight. Like, it'll be fun until Cody Garbrandt goes to sleep. What say you, Fernando? Where does Cody Garbrandt go from Saturday night? Yeah, I think that the idea of him fighting Figueiredo right now doesn't look as good. It didn't age as well, uh, the the idea of this matchup. Uh, well, depending on your perspective, if you want to see him uh, get slapped, maybe, yeah, maybe that's the fight you make. But Everybody uh, always intriguing. wants to see him get slapped. Everybody <laughs> always wants to see Cody Garbrandt unconscious. Okay, uh, I, I I will not. I feel like I'm just coming into this arena. I need to like be comfortable before I just start trashing fighters. Uh, but I th- I think I'm I'll not. get there. You have me here enough times. But <laughs> yeah, so that's the <laughs> that's the thing. I uh, going back to, going down to flyweight really is an option for him right now, and I think that you know, his speed might translate well. Like, I don't know. I think that that is absolutely a valid idea. But if he wants to stay at Bantam, uh, one of the commenters said uh, here, and I uh, I think it was Mike Bond who made that that matchup, and I kind of like it, is Cody Garbrin and Chan O'Malley. I mean, if he loses, like, very tragic for his career. But, like, I just think it's an interesting one. He stays in the division. Like, the styles, I don't know, are intrigue me. Um, I think his power might make Sean have to respect him a little, 
maybe more than he has other opponents. So that, and another one that I was reading that I kind of like is Malo Moraes. I mean, it kind of makes sense divisionally, but it's not as glamorous of a fight. Uh, but I think that he's actually got more. He's one of those guys, right? He's so exciting. Like, even if people only watch him to see him get slapped, they are still watching. So he, I think he still has a few options. It's just a weird one to even gauge. Like I was saying, uh, he's coming off four losses in his last fight, but he's not honest kid. He won after coming back. Uh, he beat Rafael in a very emphatic way. So it's a little bit of a weird one, but I would keep an in bantamweight for, yeah, for one other fight. And if I have to pick one, I would go with Sean O'Malley just because I think it's like, it could be fun. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. Judge shaking his head. Why? Why? Because <laughs> I knew because like I speak the truth. Sorry. But like, it's way nicer for him to go get slept by the flyweight champion than it is for him to lose to friggin' Sean O'Malley. That's going to be devastating to his career. He could at least like recover. Well, <laughs> he got knocked out by the dude that everyone's trying to convince themselves is better than DJ. Like, okay, that's fine. Now he still gets another fight. It's a free roll to give him a flyweight title shot. You put him against Sugar Sean, yeah. he then he's done. You just can't do his career. <laughs> He's coming off a lot. Like, that's the thing, right? Like, okay, we know we've established to begin this, that fairness is not really a thing we're expecting to happen in the world ever, but specifically in the UFC. But, like, <laughs> I just don't really see them being as brazen as to give him a title shot right now. I think one win, whatever win, against anyone, they might. But I don't know. I don't really see it happening for we'll him right Asker, now. Askarov getting a flyweight title shot is my thing. Like, who the hell else are they giving it to at that weight class? True. They don't care about they, any of <laughs> Yeah. But when they gave that title shot to um, Perez, Alex Perez. Yeah. Was that his yeah. name? I'm sorry. Yeah. That was, yeah. Yeah, that was really weird. Look so. at how much people care about the flyweight division. <laughs> Alex Perez, is that his name? I think he's a top five fighter. But I got it right. It was the same. I'm just an insecure person, okay? I just second guessed myself <laughs> a lot. I knew his name. <laughs> but I mean, I, I, I will say this. And again, I shouldn't be conceding wins here. But I, I, I'm just a bad competitor, I guess. <laughs> I would tune in for that fight. <laughs> awesome. I'm just setting myself up for like when I lose, I can just go and say that I beat myself. <laughs> I really lost my scalp that day. Look, I'm uh. just saying, if you ever want to have the fun that is Figgy Small versus Garbrandt, you got to do it now because it seems unlikely that if we're if we need a win streak from Garbrandt, that doesn't seem like it's in the offense. So I'm not even saying a streak. I'm saying one. Ah, maybe literally. Ask her, ask her off. You could probably beat him. I don't you know, know man. Yeah, no I, just, I don't believe in Asker Askarov. So I want to believe <laughs> that Cody Garbrandt could at least stuff those takedowns. Well, we have a lot going on at 135 in the UFC. Apparently, we might have a lot going on at 125 in the UFC, depending on where Cody Garbrandt goes. Then there's also a lot going on at 115 pounds in the UFC, and that's where we're going next this week on BTL. But the point for round one goes to... I got to give it to the challenger here. I got to give it to Nanda because Woo! 
anyone thank you one point anyone that comes in here and drops expletives literally within their first response <laughs> you, you, you gotta you, you gotta you gotta weigh it in the right way so so kudos kudos to you that was a great round i knew you were giving her the point because you you were all like oh please give your your wise and knowing insight on this you've never said something so nice to me i've been on this show 20 some odd times even like all right jed just go off do whatever it is you're gonna do not please i'd like your your well thought and reasoned perspective on this thing favoritism because i know i get that i get that every time for you jed you guys are too used to each other like that's the thing you're nice to like the the visitor you're not nice to the people who live with you True. Yep, it's great living with me. <laughs> I'm great company, <laughs> clearly. My fiance is a lucky man. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Well, let us, let, let us head to the co-main event of UFC Vegas 27, where Carla Esparza picked up her first finish since she won the inaugural strawweight title against current champion Rose Namajunas. She goes out there and steamrolls Jan Jonan. This was clear one-way traffic, and I think Carla knew that Another decision win, even though most people felt she had already done enough to earn a title shot, that might not have cut it in this scenario. So she goes out and beats up Jan Jonan and stops her in the second round, leaves her a bloody mess. However, Fernanda, there is an individual named Dana White who is not willing to give his immediate stamp of approval on a Yanami Yunus Esparza rematch. He put her in the conversation with another potential rematch for Nami Yunus against Zhang Wei Li, who she just stopped in less than 80 seconds a little over a month ago. So, Fernanda, Carla did everything she needed to do in that octagon, in that fight, and then some to earn a title shot. Why is that somehow not enough for Dan FC right now? That's, I mean, do I have to answer? <laughs> like, of course. money? Money? I guess that's the answer to everything and every reasoning. Uh, <laughs> I just, okay, that's the thing, right? And I think this is really where we're all at right now with Carla. Like she, there is nothing else she needs to do to her this, right? At this point, she has the streak. What was missing from the streak of finish? Well, what was missing from the entire uh, UFC record of Carla with the exception of that one fight uh, with Rose finishes, right? And then she does that. Um, the other contenders in the division, right? And we're excluding Jean for the, the moment. Um, you have the fight with Mackenzie Dern and Marina Rodriguez. Uh, Marina, Carla beat her. A split decision, but she did beat her. Uh, Mackenzie, she's almost there. But, like, if you put her next to... Yeah, and she has a bunch of finishes. But if you put her next to Carla Espaza right now, uh, Carla's resume really speaks for itself. The timing, you know, Rose did beat Wiley Zhang. If Wiley, if Wiley was the champion, maybe we could have a different conversation. But Rose is the champion. They have that fight. She beat Rose. Like, there's just such a, a perfect 
conversion of like storylines and the timing that I think it's really undeniable that this is, you know, as far as what Kala could do to earn this, um, it, it's done. But I think we all understand that there's a bottom line. And even though obviously I'm not saying Wiley Zhang is not a worthy uh, title challenger, if there was no one else in the division, especially considering Tatiana Suarez, who was a person we have been touting as a contender for a long time, uh, is moving up to flyweight, like I wouldn't have a problem with her having the rematch necessarily, even though the fight ended quickly. Um, she's an exciting fighter. I feel like people want to watch her. But right now I think if we're just putting fairness on the table, Kala takes this. But then we know how the UFC, uh, you know, how the Chinese market is important uh, for the UFC. I, you know, we hear the numbers of the amounts of people who are watching their own social media. I don't know how much of that is solid and how much of that is just abstract concepts. But like as a general concept, we agree that the UFC is interested in keeping the Chinese market. So, you know, I think that's a bigger fight just in terms of numbers and money. And that's me saying instinctively. Maybe when you put pen to paper, it's not even that at all. But I think that that's a more um, appealing, eye-popping fight for the UFC. And I would, even though, as we know, Dana White was not emphatic and like Wiley Zhang is getting the rematch. He was non-committal. I just think that even the fact that we're still having this conversation, that this is something that is being like, it's either or, I do feel like it, it will end up being Wally Zhang and, and Rose Namayunas, the rematch, which, again, it's unfortunate for Kyle. I think she really did everything she, she needed to, to earn this opportunity. What do you think, Jed? Why, what, what, what else does Carla Esparza need to do? Like, outside of her getting, we talked about this on, like, the post-fight show and stuff, outside of her just, like, roasting Paul Felder and just, like, going on a tirade on the microphone after the win, which is not her style. Like what else could she have done to earn a title shot here? I mean, honestly, it's not that hard. All she had to do is get Chinese citizenship. She'd have the title shot. That'd be <laughs> it. That's, she needs to, to move to Beijing for, I, I don't know how long you have to live there to, to get citizenship uh, and, and apply for that. But she'll have it done. Lock stock or sealed outside of that. This was always going to be the outcome. It was always going to be Dana White equivocating um, because Wiley has that look in her eye or whatever dumbass reason he's post for that. Like, uh, I will dispute uh, um, what my illustrious challenger said. She used a lot of big words, which I don't like. And so I take those as a sign of disrespect. Uh, and what I'm going to say here is uh, that I do not believe in any circumstances that Wiley deserves a title shot. Uh, there should be consequences for losing fights. I think this is true of Piotr Jan. Like, I don't think he deserves a title shot because he lost legitimately. Even if he's a better fighter than Aljo, like, you, there should be consequences for screwing up. And, like, whether Wiley lost because, like, the coaches, there was the issue with the coaches or the moment overcame her, whatever the hell, like, she got got. <laughs> and she should have to get one more win. Like, I never liked it when long-reigning champions get immediate title fights, like uh, immediate rematches, because you should be rewarded for, for winning and not have to do the same thing twice. But, like, at the same time, Wiley wasn't even that. Wiley had one title defense, best – you know, one of the three best fights of all time. Awesome. But she doesn't deserve a title fight. Run it back with Ioana and JJ. Just run that fight back. Give Carla Esparza a crack at the belt. 
Like she's not gonna win, so it doesn't matter. Like she's <laughs> still gonna win, and then you can do the Wiley rematch. Like Carla's not gonna win that fight, but there is going into that fight. If Carla had come out with a uh, the same the same more fights before that, you know, like a very questionable decision or whatever, like a grindy. I'm just gonna sit on top of you, not throw a lot of offense, hold on until I get to the bell. But that is not at all what she did. She beat that ass for a round and a half before she finished from a top crucifix. Like, that is in no way the outcome I think anyone expected. Like, even if you thought Esparza was going to win, you didn't think she was going to turn it to that level. Like, you you should be rewarded for performing in the biggest stages at the biggest moments. So, and ultimately, I think she's going to get it. Like, Dana's going to try and angle this in any way he can, but – uh, Rose isn't going to be like stoked about running it right back with Wiley. And so I think they're just going to do the Esparza thing. I, I know that this is the point where I'm going to lose like everybody and I'm okay with that. What you do is you do it. They're the coaches for tough. You, you do it. There's a whole circle. It's brought full circle. They coach the next season of tough and then they fight after it. Uh, it's a very neat bow put on the end of this story. Rose beats her ass. We're done. We never have to do it again. And then Rose can go fight whoever the top-ranked Chinese fighter is at the time because that is clearly what the UFC is looking for. All right. So we're like one believes that Zhang Wei Li gets a rematch. One believes Carlos Sparza gets the title, gets her rematch. I wouldn't be surprised with either result at this point. But, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it would be a borderline travesty if Carlos Sparza doesn't get the next title shot. I mean, come on. But. We'll see what happens. But real quick, before we go to round three, I do want to touch on this because where do we go with Edmund Shabazi and Jed Mishu? He gets booked with Jack Hermanson after losing to Derek Brunson. His first loss, a lot of people thought the Derek Brunson fight might have been too much. He loses. We saw how he lost. And then you book him with Jack Hermanson. This was questionable matchmaking at best. If you look on social media, not a lot of people were like, were like, wow, this is great matchmaking. They were just like, what? What are you doing? Why would you slow this kid down right there? But now he's lost two in a row. He just got, he had a good first round, got, then got thumped the rest of the way. What do we do with Edmund Shabazi now? Man, this deserves more than the quick hit we're going to because there's a lot to unpack here. Uh, a bit of this is Monday morning quarterbacking here because, like, if he had just done what he did in the first round for another three minutes, we wouldn't have this conversation. Like it would just been like, oh, look, Edmund responded and look how much better he's gotten against grappling or whatever. But he didn't. And so now we're here, like, oh, this was bad. To be clear, this was bad matchmaking in at the first place, but it's not really the UFC's fault. It is it, it's really where he goes is to another team. Both because uh I firmly did his coaching staff that is around him for I think really clearly obvious reasons for anyone who's deep in the game, which you probably are if you're watching this show. Uh, And he can do a lot better and develop better elsewhere. But also nobody has any idea how to manage his damn career because the story here is that Edmund didn't want to step back. He wanted to get right back in. And that's not what you do with a 22-year-old fighter. You develop them. You let a prospect develop. They tried to rush him. He got knocked back down. Okay, great. He's not going to be a wunderkind. You can just go baby steps up. You need to take him all the hell back uh, and fight either 
back ass into the top 15 or somebody not ranked, someone that he can get some cage time, work on developing new skills. He's still really young. We don't need to be like, he has to get the belt now or it's all a waste. Just let him develop over people who are good, but he should win and be able to work and build new things. And frankly, at this point now, build build some momentum, build some interest amongst the fans. And Shabazzian here. And and I understand where, where Jet's coming from. Like if Edmund Shabazzian had just done that for another three minutes, but Jack Hermanson is very good at making adjustments on the fly. And there's no way he was going to let Edmund Shabazzian just pick him apart at distance the way they did in the first round. So Jack Hermanson did what Jack Hermanson does. And now Shabazzian has lost two in a row. So now what? Now what do we do? It's, uh, I totally agree with Jet. And, and it's funny because this card really, I wasn't paying that much attention to it. And for some reason, like, I didn't even realize that Edmund was scheduled to face Hermanson until like the week before. And I remember looking at it being like, why? Just why is this happening? Like, because the, the way he lost to Brunson was, was not like, oh, he got knocked out and it happens. Like, it was a loss that really exposed uh, an immature fighter. Right. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm sorry if that word is too long for you, Jed. Um, a, a green fighter. Is that better? Um, and, <laughs> uh, but he, you know, that, that really showed that this was a fighter who needed to work on a lot of things. And exactly like you, you said, Jed, like oh, you understand that a fighter that young will be like, you know what? I'm feeling great. Uh, I don't need all this time to recover from this. Like I just need to dial in mentally. And I was reading a story that his heartbeat was like his resting heart rate was under 30, which is great because that means he's so athletic. Uh, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I think it makes him look like a vampire, but that's a whole other thing. The thing is like, you understand why, a 20 something who was winning a lot until he wasn't would be so eager to get back in there. Uh, but you as a manager and as the people around him, again, not the matchmakers or the UFC, they have their own interests. We can't keep expecting them to look out for the fighters. Uh, would it be smart of them to build their talent slowly so that they can, you know, reap the fruits of having a developed contender later. Yes, but we've seen enough to know that's not exactly how it happens. And, and and this happened. He started off really well. I think we've established that. And it looked encouraging. But then Jack Hermanson is just a really freaking good fighter. Uh, and we saw that. I saw some people even here saying like, oh, Edmund and Holland would be interesting. Maybe because we also saw Holland has a few holes on his game that, you know, a few ways that he can develop. He's also sort of immature in his own uh, his own way. So this could be an interesting one. But honestly, if I'm like Shabazzian's team, I'm just taking a step back and really working foundationally at this point. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting situation he finds himself in but that's uh ufc vegas 27 big ups to the bonus winners esparza bruno silva look good 60 second ko big shout out to the fight of the night between jared vandera and justin taffa all in all not a bad card at all and i think the the the, the time off the weekend off comes at a at a very good point but we're now we're gonna look ahead on a busy week it has been for one john jones that usually happens every week, but we're going to talk about it on the program this week. But first, the point for round two goes to... Jed Mishu ties it up one-to-one. -one. Good stuff. 
We took all the wind out of my sails by telling me we're talking about John Jones next. God. Just. <laughs> oh. Get ready, Fernanda. Get up. Get up for this. Jed's starting to, to lose some of that mojo because we're talking about the former light heavyweight champion of the world. It is exhausting. <laughs> well, it is you're going to get I the opportunity. I will say that we have similar energies going into this one. Uh, I'm I'm with you in mood. Um, not something right, I'm looking I mean, forward to discussing. Okay, this is this is somewhat about John, but more about kind of the other pieces of the puzzle because we have John Jones decided to vacate his title last year. He's been bulking up for the move to heavyweight. He's been going back and forth with the UFC about getting the big fight for the belt with Francis Ngannou. Officially parted ways with with first round management. He's been going back and forth with Chael Sonnen in <laughs> this week. That's for this trash. <laughs> the, the iconic voice doing that shit to me come on the iconic voice can't believe this she was in my city last week and she's doing this to me come on <laughs> this is such trash for an animated close by uh with the vocabulary comment but i digress i digress <laughs> so john's been staying busy going with the whole chael son thing he said a few things throughout the week and then he made a big move Yesterday, that got a lot of attention. He has a new advisor who is the former CEO of Golden Boy Promotions, Richard Schaefer. And Richard's been making big deals and doing a lot of big things on the promotional end for several years now, a couple decades. And Fernanda, we have heard other names being thrown around in regards to who will be handling Jones's career moving forward. A lot of people thought maybe Ali would get in there. Paradigm was rumored at times to maybe be in the mix. We weren't we're really sure, but... When you found out it was Richard Schaefer, did you have any reaction to this news whatsoever? I might I might be forfeiting my point here, uh, but I had no idea who Richard Schaefer was. And, uh, but obviously I read about it because uh, I'm an intellectual uh, and a journalist and I do my research. But <laughs> uh, correct me if I'm wrong, are we having like this whole conversation in terms of Dana White doesn't hate Richard Schaefer, so maybe we can get a negotiation going. Like, is it really as simple as that? Because that's what I've been reading from this entire situation. Like, oh, we're encouraged because it turns out that Dana White actually respects this guy. And therefore, we might be able to get a deal that we couldn't have gotten otherwise, which to me seems a little high school, not that that is entirely surprising. So I, I think I would need to be more clarified in this realm than anything else. I, I can clarify. It's high school in the fact that we're all lying to ourselves. Like this matters at all. It doesn't matter <laughs> at all. Richard Schaefer's not gonna do shit about this. I don't care if Dana likes him or doesn't. This is the biggest non-story that's like, it's a by definition, it's not really a story because it fundamentally doesn't change a damn thing. Okay, so just Sorry, to kind of like not my time, Mike. But no, it's, it's <laughs> no, but like just 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 to kind of build on this because I mean we know where this where this conversation is heading because Kevin Ioli of Yahoo did a couple of interviews, one with Richard Schaefer in particular, and. You know, he said he respects and likes Dana White and the feeling seems to be mutual. They seem to, you know, like the same people. They hate the same people. And Richard's goal is to <laughs> sit down with Dana 
and find a way. I believe this is an exact quote. I'm just going to pull it up here. Find a way to structure a deal, which nobody will be happy with, but everybody can live with. So like Jed just so eloquently put it, Bernanda, doing it is a whole different thing than saying it. And Dana is as stubborn as it gets, as we all know. So does, I mean, are you confident at all that Richard Schaefer will get Jones, Dana White and the UFC on the same page? Like, are, are, are we going to see photos on Instagram of all these guys in a room together sharing a steak? I just don't see it happening to you. Oh man. And that's, but that's the thing. And that's whenever we're talking Joan Jones. And that's why I really understand George, Jed's sort of like reaction to the idea that we're discussing Joan Jones is that it's always got all these layers and we're always just like, and he's so unpredictable and he'll say a thing and they say something else. And, you know, I think for a little bit there, it was looking like, oh, maybe Joan Jones is the guy that can really, you know, because of his stature, he can really just help move things along in terms of just fighters and the UFC relationships. And then he was not. And then, you know, he's saying, ah, I'll fight. And then he's saying, no, I'm going to give it a, a year to prepare to go to heavyweight. And then Two months from now, I wouldn't be surprised with seeing a picture on Instagram of him getting ready to go back to light heavyweight. Like this is just at this point, I'm not confident in anything that has to do with Joan Jones, just because that's the way that his career goes. And I will just say that I am a supporter of fighters being kind of assholes because it's their careers and it's their lives. And I do think that they get to call their own shots. And if, you know, he can afford to sit out a year and wants to sit out a year and feel better about coming back, like you do you, that's your prerogative. I, I don't have a necessarily a problem with that. I feel like we are a bit too much into fighters businesses, but you know, it, it, it really, at the same time, he sends so many mixed messages and we've given him so much goodwill at this point that I find it really hard to like really predict anything. My, But if I have to, I will say there will be an agreement. And like you said, that it's like the, the quote, like you quoted Richard Schaefer saying, it will be one of those things and it won't be the huge uh, pay that Joan Jones wants, which for me, it's, sad because it's a loss for all fighters just for him but might just be enough to make him happy and make it like a tiny individual win and then he'll fight and life will go back to you know you the usual which i don't know i'm, I'm not per particularly satisfied with because i feel like a fighter like really putting their foot a fighter like joan jones really putting their foot getting exactly what they wanted would be such a huge win for fighters in general but that's the world we live in Jed, do you care to see? Do, do you want to see John Jones versus Francis Ngannou? Is that a fight that, like, as a fan, you are just fired up to see? Yeah, for sure. I think it's a really good fight. Like, uh, honestly, my thoughts on this can largely be summed up by what Chael Sonnen said yesterday, which that's always a strong start to say, I wholeheartedly agree with Chael Sonnen. You know, <laughs> do it about uh, but I wrote about it for the, for the site this morning because, like, Sonnen hits most of the key points here like honestly straight up like this change is nothing if if this change is anything mm -hmm. at all it's not that richard chaffer has a good relationship with dana white one mm -hmm. 
Dana and John don't negotiate anyway. Like that's very clear. Dana has said it many times. I don't actually do. Uh, I think Hunter is the one who does that with, with John. So he hasn't really been involved in this anyway, which is good because if you could put two people less likely to come to an agreement in a room, then John Jones and Dana White, I don't know who the hell they are. Like that is, those are the two <laughs> most oil and water kind of people to come to an agreement about what they want in the world. Schaefer's uh, statement about, you know, finding an agreement that nobody's happy with. Yes, that's called compromise. And Dana White doesn't do it. Mm -hmm. I would be very shocked if you if you could point to any fighter contract in the last decade that Dana was unhappy with. Maybe, maybe a Connor one. But even that, I just don't think that that's true because he's holding all the cards. And that's the real key here. The only Schaefer affects this whatsoever is if he – outside of any other person can get it through John's head that as right as he is, and John deserves more money than he's getting hundred percent. He deserves these things. Yes. He ain't getting them because there's a piece of paper that means they don't have to, and they're not going to give up that leverage. So the only way this changes if it's Richard Chaper and all his, you know, vast experience can be like, Hey John, I know you want 30 mil. You're going to get like seven. And that's how contracts work. It sucks. Mm -hmm. Maybe should really make an effort to organize other fighters so you guys can do better because like chael said when was the last time john jones fought i know the last person he fought was dominic reyes and i know because i wrote this this morning that he fought him in february of last year the ufc has not missed john jones would they like to have him sure would they like to have a super fight with you know stipe or francis or whatever yeah sure mm -hmm. that is not gonna be the difference maker for their bottom line and so they don't care if john wants to sit out and say well you know i'm i'm the best of all time and I'll, sure maybe that's true some of that could be true but like you his relevance really is and i he doesn't understand this because he doesn't have other things going on that people care about he you know for all, paul felder commentates and does like he is just the best fighter we've ever seen and the further away he gets from that the less people care. Like it's not, if he sits out another year waiting for this, I honestly can totally see a super fight with Francis, like being a bit of a dud, at least from the expectations everyone has. Cause John is low key, never acted huge draw. He's been very competent, but not enormous. And the people are just like, who the hell is that? Wasn't he important like six years ago? I think the last time I saw him fight, he got whooped up on by a dude who's been colded in his last two fights. So, yeah, he needs to strike while the iron's hot, and I don't think Richard Schaefer's helping this at all. That's my stance. Mm. I'll make <laughs> make one addendum, though. Like, in the argument, when we talk about uh, an agreement that won't make both of them both happy, both, both can live with, I would say that, yes, the UFC will absolutely not do an agreement that they're not happy with. I meant in the sense that they will pretend to be unhappy with it because anything short of all the money that Joan Jones, they, and they could pay Joan Jones what he wants at this point, right? They just won't do it. They could, they still wouldn't be unhappy, but uh, yeah, that's just a small little addendum. They had to that WME bill, man. How do you think they're paying off WME payments? Huh? It's not by giving, giving money to people. It's by holding. It. <laughs> <laughs> All right, last thing on this, 
So we have this deal. John Jones said earlier this week he's he's willing to sit up for another year and keep building his body and training and getting ready for this heavyweight debut. And then yesterday we find out that this deal with Schaefer is, is a done deal. And he's saying, you know what, maybe I will fight this year. And it looks like Derek Lewis is going to be next for Ngannou, although I know people were referencing the Kevin Ioli interview, but – there is, I mean, Dana never said like, hey, they're fighting in August. They're fighting in Houston. He was like, we're thinking about this and we're thinking about this. So we never actually said like, this is a hundred percent going to happen. He has said that he thinks Derek Lewis is the number one contender, but he's never like once said this fight's a done deal. It's happening. So we don't know. But at this point, Fernanda, if I gave you $50, okay. If I handed you $50 and I said, you had to put it on whether or not John Jones fights in 2021 or not, where are you putting the 50 bucks? Oh my God. 50 bucks goes a long way here in Mexico City. So this is a very big decision. Um, that he fights in 2021 and not necessarily in Ghana? That he fights anybody this year. Okay, I'll say he does. Why? He fights somebody. Oh, man, you ask tough questions. Like, you have to give a reasoning for my statements. What kind of show is this? This is not like my podcast where I can just say things. Um, well, I got to be careful <laughs> enough handing you the 50. To be fair, I say things a lot. He never calls me on it. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. You just talk. Okay, I will say, I will say, what, what, what month is this? We're in June. I say that there is still time for him to, like, get a heavy, light heavyweight fight. Why would he get a light heavyweight fight though? Can I change my vote? No, I'll say John Jones doesn't fight this year. I changed my 15 bucks. <laughs> I told you I was going to be mad at this. <laughs> so no, much that's pressure. See, that's why, that's why I pressed. I had to make sure you were caught. You, 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 you were confident in your answer and you felt good about it. So you're right. No, I, I, I never feel good about anything. Let's get that out of the way. Um, no decisions <laughs> of mine I've ever felt good about. So, but yeah, so $50, he doesn't fight this year. Sorry. Jed, I am a lucky man because in my other pocket, I got another 50 bucks. Didn't think it was possible, <laughs> but I got another 50. Same deal, my friend. 50 bucks. John Jones fights this year. John Jones doesn't fight this year. Where are you putting it? You just got 100 bucks walking around cash? Look at you go. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm going to say doesn't fight this year. I think it's – to me, it seems very obvious that John Jones is not fighting this year. Uh, he's definitely not fighting this summer. And so then the only way, honestly, I see this, and people are about to get super angry, and that's fine. Uh, <laughs> if, if Derek Lewis <laughs> and Ganu, I think we're going to suddenly see a John Jones who's far less concerned with getting $30 million. Uh, and I don't say that because John Jones is afraid of Francis Ngannou. I think that that's just smart math. Like fighting Francis Ngannou is a legitimately challenging, difficult thing that jeopardizes John Jones's entire legacy, right? Like he holds so much weight on the nobody's ever actually beaten me. I'm the best ever. And if he goes and gets bolted, bolted, then all of that goes away. So like, it's a very real concern, even though I don't think he's afraid of him. I think he believes he can win that fight. Like it's just a risk reward analysis in his head that changes dramatically. If Derek Lewis is your heavyweight champion one, that's the best thing that's happened to the sport in like four years. If Derek freaking Lewis is the baddest man <laughs> on the planet, uh, we probably peaked and we should probably just end the sport right there. Cause it's at the best. <laughs> Uh, but he watched Daniel Cormier just have 
absolutely zero issue with Derek Lewis. Sure, maybe Derek Lewis has gotten better since then. I'm not even confident that that's true. Uh, but I just imagine that he goes, okay, maybe I'll take a pay cut, you know, from what I think I deserve uh, because that's just so easy to win. And then once I'm champ champ John Jones and really solidified my status as the king lion among the jungle or whatever trite dumb shit he posts all the time, uh, then I, I can try and negotiate from the position of having the belt instead of not. So uh, the the only way I think it happens is if Derek Lewis beats uh, Francis Ngannou. Otherwise, I think our boy's hanging around until 2022, at which point he will finally cave because that's what John does. He stands very firm. Uh, he says lots of things that make him mm-hmm. seem important, at least to himself. And then he's like, you know what? I guess I'll just go fight because everybody got to get paid at some point, And he he needs to fight to earn a living. So, no, he's not fighting this year. I have to thank John Jones for keeping my screenshot game on point because that's what happens when you – come to a website and you have to write about John Jones. You have to screenshot his tweets before they get deleted and 95% of them get deleted. So uh, we'll certainly all be keeping an eye on this whole thing. John's the best. Maybe he's just self-conscious about his typos. He's, he's the only fighter where like in a team slack, it's, Oh, John's going again. Everybody like get ready. Like Connor will send like one or two and then that's it. John, if he sends one, he's sending seven and four of them at least are going away. Like it's it's the <laughs> best. He's a miracle. I love how this round started with I, this is a non-story. I can't believe we're talking about this. And that was the most spirited round of all. Um, but we're going to head to round four in a matter of moments. And the point for round three goes to Jed was on fire there. It's hard for me to ignore. So he gets Thank the point. I, I it's two to one. one. Thank goodness. I'm not the other one. Scared. I will dispute with this one. So we're good. Yeah. So I, in my uh, in my lazy ways trying to get the show ready, I realized that there's like all these other topics that we could talk about. So we're just going to throw them all into like one round, a little potpourri style round here. A couple different topics. And you know what? I just decided this. We're going to play a little game of buy or sell for the first couple of topics. And we're going to begin with some news that dropped last night. ESPN told or was told by Dana White, and we since confirmed this with sources ourselves, Max Holloway's next fight is booked. And no, he's not fighting for the title. He's not fighting Justin Gaethje. That's the fight I wanted to see. He's going to be fighting Yair Rodriguez on July 17th. And Yair has been out of action for almost two years. He will make the walk after a whereabouts suspension with USADA. He's been dealing with some injuries. The last time we saw him was at UFC Boston in that fun fight with Jeremy Stevens. But, man, he gets a massive opportunity in his comeback fight in less than two months' time, Jed. So, seeing on social media, my friend, this was met with mixed reviews. Are you buying or selling this piece of business being the right call? Max Holloway versus Yair Rodriguez. Bye. I mean, that fight's going to be dope. Max can beat the hell out of him. It's going to be awesome. It's not great business because it just turfs the year again. Um, and, like, that's not it. But what is – Max can't sit around and wait. Like, I mean, he could. But that would be boring to have him sit around for a half waiting for, you know, Volkanovski to, to run it back a third time. Uh, I'm, I'm with you. I would have liked to see him make another run up, up to uh, lightweight. But – 
that's not what he wants to do. He wants to stay here. So yeah, I, I'm. This fight's gonna be awesome. I'll watch Max Holloway fight a broom. Like I don't care. He's gonna be exciting as hell. Yair is really good at getting hit. Um, so that's gonna be great. Like he's he's gonna find a way to get hit a lot. Uh, while trying to do some really <laughs> wild stuff, and it was really fun. So yeah, buy the hell out of this. Fernando, buying or selling that this was the fight to make, Max Holloway versus Yair. I buy it. I had exactly the same line of thinking as Jed yesterday. Like, yeah, he's gonna get hit a lot. We know it, but he's gonna do it like in a cool way. Um, so more stuff for his highlight reel, I guess. And honestly, even though. There is a reason why I, I guess it's open already, right? And he's already like a massive underdog. I don't know betting or odds. It's just a very wild concept to me. But like, I think that's what's happening. And um, I've just owned up to not knowing a lot doing this little broadcast of ours, haven't I? But the, okay, I'll, I'll figure that out later. But the whole thing is, I don't hate it for Yair that much. Because I feel like it's a, if he was fighting Zabit, which, you know, the doomed fight that I don't think will ever happen. And now there's even talks of Zabit maybe retiring, but the Zabit fight, I think was a bad uh, matchup for him, like, or, you know, a very a risky one. And losing that one would have been like just a, such a big uh, blow to, to your stock. And then with Holloway, like, if you do win that fight, you just propelled yourself. I don't know how many spots, like obviously all the way up there, considering Max Holloway is considered by many, which I think is unfair, the sort of moral champion, uh, but he is obviously an extraordinary fighter. And the, the, the weird situation that, that yeah, he pulls it off, like such a huge step on his career and if he loses there's really not that much of a shame in losing to max holloway uh he probably do it in a way that is looks really cool and might get him a bonus and might get him like more favors with the fans yeah he's not i think in a position right now to be turning down fights uh in his career so um i i, I buy it I think it's good. It's it's and and like Judd said, Max shouldn't be sitting around. So yeah, I'm totally fine with it. I like it. I dig it. There may not be shame in losing Max Holloway, but there is head trauma. So I'm not confident that that. <laughs> well, if we're gonna thing. use that argument, I think we're now all of our points are moot. Uh, also, I'm changing my opinion. I'm gonna take the roller coaster ride that that, that my esteemed when I did last round and say, actually, no, <laughs> the fight that you're supposed to make, so I'm selling one because I really wanted Yair versus Giga to just kick. Like I'd like them to do the fight circus style, no punching kicks only. That would be the best. <laughs> uh, and I'm going to re, re bump the fight I've been calling for, for I think two and a half years now. And a lot of people are really going to not like it now. Uh, but you just do Max versus Tony for the King of the angel wings. And you know okay. we can send Tony off out out of the sport because he needs to be <laughs> that sport. And a Calvin Cater style ass beating is maybe the thing that gets Tony to just walk away. So that's the fight that should be made. I'm selling now, Mike. Okay. Hey, listen. This is between the links, and anything can happen. And I, I'm fine with the fight too because one, it's a great opportunity for Yair to come back to, and kind of like you guys both put it. There's not a lot to lose here. Like he, he can get he can get bold stopped in two rounds. Great but, fellas, as Jed established. But other than yes. that. <laughs> but, but, but look at maybe some liver quality. 
But look at Calvin Cater. Calvin Cater took one of the most vicious beatings you will ever see in a fight, and his stock rose. His stock actually rose after that fight, which is wild. And Yair potentially could could get a rub no matter what. So I like the fight. It's going to be exciting for however long it lasts. So just enjoy it. It's a pretty damn good. And you get it for free. You get it on freaking ESPN+. Plus. So be happy with that as well. Uh, I do want to touch on Bellator 259 if we could, because there were a couple of big storylines that have come out of that event based on the numbers. Like if you're into the business, looking at numbers and what drives traffic, there were two pretty big stories. One of which started at the end of the night and the other started at the beginning of the main card. Uh, I don't think any of you even knew this question was coming, but I'm just going to throw it out there and you guys can banter amongst yourselves. But Fernanda Valerie Loretta suffered her first loss to Hannah guy and Loretta had a big moment early she had a knockdown, and then it became the Hannah Guy show. She has now become Casey Lydon's favorite fighter because of her dance moves. And I will give, and I think everyone will, should give Loretta this. She showed a lot of toughness, a lot of resiliency, but just wasn't enough. Hannah gets the win, and Scott Coker talks to the media after and said, essentially, you know, talk to me when she's had 10, 11, 12 fights. Then we'll talk about stocks dropping or us being concerned about her career. So are you buying or selling that Bellator is not all that concerned about Lareda's latest performance? <sighs> um, I'm okay. The way you phrase it, I have to think about it. I absolutely think that's a fair statement that, you know, you're taking a chance on a fighter like Lareda, right? You're not giving her the benefit of really maturing outside of the public eye, which she that's obviously a position she has thrived in so far she has really embraced that so i'm not even faulting them for that at all uh and we know how bellator goes about these uh some of these buildups so it's not surprising but uh that they're not concerned i'm not buying it because obviously she has been one of those athletes that has gotten a bunch of attention from the get-go like it's, it's pretty obvious i will say this since we're on this subject because I see a lot of nonsense whenever, uh, you know, Valerie Loretta is involved. And I think a lot of people really rejoiced in the fact that she lost and that she looked like a fighter who really was four fights into her professional MMA career, right? Who's also very young. Um, so, you know, in many ways, that was absolutely a a natural thing to happen, even though she also lost to an athlete who was um, early in her professional MMA career. But the whole thing with Valerie, I think she rubs a lot of people the wrong way because um, she's extremely confident and she has that sort of like huge attitude. And because she, you know, she's not afraid of posting sexy things, of dancing, of doing whatever it is that she wants to do with her body. And to which I say, like, just not be assholes about it it's her body if you don't want to look at it just like turn the other way you're not you don't need to follow her on social media i just think it's an insane thing that we're you know in a sport and in a world that sexualizes women's bodies so much and sexualizes women's presences so much uh you know we're so cool with objectifying women all the time but the minute that a woman takes ownership of her body and of her sexuality we have a problem with that She's overstepping. We saw the whole thing with PVZ and we see it again with Valerie Loretta. And 
I just wanted to get that out in the universe. And yes, I understand what a lot of people are going to say. And they're going to be mad at me. And they're going to be like, she asked it upon herself because she said this and she thought she was the best. And you know what? A lot of fighters have to believe they're the best, first of all, to do this fucking insane job that they do. And second of all, a lot of male fighters who do that get praised and get propelled and get put on pedestals, and people think it's amazing that they have such confidence and big personalities, and we don't afford women fighters the same luxuries. So I said my piece on this. Jed, do you want to answer this question right now? Oh, uh, I, I mean, every, everything I said is right. Um, yeah, we live in a society that is tacitly misogynistic, and we don't allow women to do things that we praise men for. That sucks. Uh, it's nothing new, but like it does <laughs> suck. Uh, I, I appreciate the solidarity I, there, Jed, on behalf yeah. of women everywhere. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you guys get uh, the short end of the stick. Uh, I'm a white cis male and from middle class America. Like, it's that's just is what it is. Like, I I don't have to deal with these problems, and that's very um very fortunate for me. So I can't better or more eloquently on that than Fernanda could. Uh, I will say, similar related here, uh, but not for the reason you might think, I absolutely loved that Valerie Loretta lost. Not because I have any issues with her whatsoever. She seems cool. I'm happy with her, whatever. But because it only took us like three weeks for the Bellator rankings to show how transparently dog shit they are. Because she lost to Hannah Guy, who is Valerie Roleta is currently ranked number eight in the Bellator Flyweight rankings. She just got her ass beat by Hannah Guy, who is ranked number nine. Way to go, Bellator. You guys did it again. So it's fantastic. I love that we already – I don't think any of us took them seriously, but now we just – oh, they're as, they are as bad as the UFC rankings. Cool. Good to know. Yeah. Plot twist. Plot twist. My fiancé is part of the panel. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so I, I I explicitly asked to not see the votes because like I don't wanna I don't want that influencing me or my discourse in any way. So I'm ethical oh. like that. I, I really don't know. I like I like to think That's I like to so think funny. his votes are the best votes, but I cannot vouch for them because I have not seen Man, yeah, I, I don't know reporting here because if so we're going to need him on this show to uh defend his position. <laughs> yeah i don't He'll i don't do know it. what's more i don't know what's more crazy the fact that lareda didn't drop or rise in the rankings that she's ranked higher than guy or that vanessa porto is ranked below both of them right now yeah which that's is the craziness that is brilliant i love it <laughs> long time stalwart of the division very good record solid wins she's behind two people who barely have fought <laughs> just unbelievable <laughs> i love bellator it's the best. it is the best but we'll stick with bellator because let's talk about chris cyborg for a moment because she looked phenomenal against a very tough leslie smith she defends her featherweight title successfully stops smith finally in the final seconds and cyborg Kind of like Amanda Nunes when it comes to 145, she's starting to run out of options. She called out Kat Zingano. That fight makes sense, but you got to believe that Cyborg is going to be a massive favorite heading into that fight. And now looming in the background of this whole featherweight scenario with Cyborg and Amanda Nunes, 
over at the UFC, we got Kayla Harrison, who is a little over six months away from becoming one of the biggest free agents in the history of the sport. So this isn't a buy-sell question, but more of a one-or-the-other type question. Six months is a long time, Jed Mishu, and a lot can happen. Nunes has her next fight book with Juliana Pena for the 135-pound title. You know both Bellator and the UFC are going to come strong for Kayla Harrison when the PFL season ends, as they should, and both probably won't waste time throwing her into a title fight, which they absolutely should. So right at this moment, Jed Mishu, May 27th, year of our Lord, 2021, would you rather see Amanda Nunes versus Kayla Harrison or Chris Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison? Cyborg versus Kayla Harrison. Uh, because I feel really confident that Amanda Nunes beats Kayla Harrison. Uh, as good as Kayla has looked and her pedigree and all of that, uh, the reality is she's still really young in her career. Amanda Nunes is still, I, I believe, at the peak of her powers. And I think that that's just a bridge too far to cross. Cyborg, I do not believe, is at the peak of her powers. I think, I mean, it took her five rounds to get Leslie Smith out of there. And I have all the respect in the world for Leslie Smith. But a couple of years ago, they fought, and that fight went much quicker. Uh, that's just, I, I think, I think Cyborg's lost her fastball, which is fine. She's been at the top of the sport for over a decade. You would expect some drop off, and because of that, I think it's a more competitive fight. Also, realistically, like if, if she goes to Bellator, uh, she can have that. And then I think we can still see Kayla Harrison, at, you know, a year or two of Bellator. One, there are more fights. Bellator is more committed to building this division than the UFC ever has been. So there's more opportunity, more fights, a bigger variety there. And then two, I think Kayla could put in a year or two in Bellator put together some wins should she, you know, manage to beat Cyborg, et cetera, and then transition over a la Michael Chandler, Eddie Alvarez, et cetera. I think there's just more opportunity if she goes to Bellator first. I think if she goes to the UFC, she's going to end up fighting Amanda, win or lose, then she just fights a string of 135ers for the next few years before maybe then she Cyborgs her way out and over to Bellator. So I think she's going to go to Bellator, and I, that's actually where I'd prefer her to land. What do you think, Fernando? Would you rather see Nunez Harrison or Cyborg Harrison? Yeah, so I will agree with Jed. Realistically, I think that Bellator is a better fit for numerous reasons, and I think that that's a, a bigger possibility. And in a way, I do think that the matchup with Cyborg is more more interesting. But I will disagree with one thing. I don't. I don't think that the the fact that it took Cyborg a little longer to get Le Leslie Smith out of there is necessarily a sign of decline. I think, uh, quite frankly, that Cyborg is just a very intelligent fighter and that the loss to Amanda Nunes caused her to sort of readjust a few things. And to me, that's really a testament to her as an athlete, that at this point of her career, she's still open to sort of making adjustments and that she's still... Um, I don't, I don't know if I can say evolving. She's been at this for so long, but that she's still, she's being smart uh, about what her body and her uh, can do at this point. And she remains extremely athletic, as she also showed uh, throughout those five rounds, because even though uh, she was extremely dominant, um, hitting people is very tiring. Um, and she uh, just, again, showed that she really is an athletic specimen. So I will slightly disagree with that uh so i, I as much as i am on board with everything since the question is about want 
in your heart of hearts. My uh, wanting is based on the fact that I'm an asshole. And I, I'm just so curious to see somebody. Uh, we've we've established this, I think, as a general concept throughout these uh, throughout this hour and something we spent together. But I think the whole thing right now for me is like Amanda has looked so insanely dominant. And I'm not saying I wouldn't pick her in a fight against Kayla because I would, but just the physicality uh, to me makes it intriguing. Kayla is a specimen. She's like a big athlete. I've been around both of them in person and me, the standard for everything. I've, <laughs> I, I, she's just such a much bigger individual. And between that and just her athletic prowess and the fact that I don't really see her having been through everything she's been in her career, being intimidated by Amanda at this point, to me, it just makes it interesting. So selfishly, as somebody who's like given up on the idea of anybody beating Amanda and who is almost given up on the trilogy with Valentina that yes, I still fight for, uh, I'm going to go and say that I would like the fight with Amanda just because I'm just such a dickhead that I kind of want to see um, <laughs> the possibility that Amanda might lose. My homegirl, I love, I love Amanda. We're, we're resilient. We, we, we stick together, but yeah, I'm just intrigued. Mike, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do something unprecedented in the history of this show. You, you should give Nanda the point <laughs> because she, like me, stands the fact that Valentina Shevchenko is the one true Bantamweight champion <laughs> and is the only one <laughs> the chance of defeating Amanda Nunes at this current juncture. And because she said that unprompted, go ahead and give her the point. <laughs> Does that count as a win, though? No, I want Mike's honest assessment. I will not take a given point. Oh, if you I want, want to earn it. You shouldn't have come on the show. That's not how the show works. <laughs> Okay, so 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 you want honesty? I'm going to give it to you. Okay, I think everyone who's watched the show from its from its earliest iteration, from episode one, knew what was going to happen here. But it just so happened that whether I think Jed played a smart move right now. I think he took off the gentleman's cap because he knew he wasn't going to win that round. He was losing one and two. Even if he even if you he didn't lose that round, he would have lost it because we always go to the last round anyways. But I will say with. Full passion and honesty. Fernanda, you were whooping up on Jen in that round, so the point is yours. We're going to the knockout round. I mean, whooping up, I just said she could get the point. Tomato, tomato. <laughs> Little of column A, Semantics. little of column B, Mike. There you go. There you go. But now we're going to head to the knockout round. One question will decide it all. I thought the potpourri round went pretty good. And you know what? I had one other topic, and I'm actually going to use that for this final round because that's what I'm going with and I don't feel like thinking any further. So neither of the participants have any idea where this question is going. I have a feeling both will hate this question with a passion and that's why we're here. So it'll be a straight question, no tricks, no secret silliness, but each of these wonderful panelists will have 60 seconds to answer the question. Once that is done with the help of the live studio audience, we'll turn it over to the honorable E. Casey Lydon who will then announce the winner. So Jed, oh, there he is in the bottom right-hand corner of your screen with the gun, Sun's Out, Guns Out hey, look. Sun's Out, Guns Out. So Jed, you are the man with the title belts. You have the champion's prerogative. You're going first or you're passing it on over to Fernanda? 
I was more interested in going first until you said I'd hate this, so I'd rather think about how much I hate it for a minute before I have to respond. I'll take the second. Okay. Well, here we go, Fernanda, because a big crossover story has recently oh, gone all over the place on the internet, and according to the CEO of Triller, Ryan Kavanaugh, according to Oscar De La Hoya, and according to one George St. Pierre himself, Triller wanted to book a boxing match between Oscar De La Hoya and GSP, and apparently the good sport himself, Dana White, put the kibosh on that idea and said, thanks, but no thanks. You got Ben Askren, you got your pump tires pumped, but no on GSP. Of course, GSP is under contract with the UFC, so if he's fighting again, he's fighting inside the octagon. So sort of a two-part question to be answered in 60 seconds or less, Fernanda. One, your thoughts on Dana saying no to this idea of GSP versus De La Hoya. And two, the question I really have, is Dana White doing GSP's legacy a favor by not allowing it to happen and having him box a former Olympic gold medalist, former world champion in De La Hoya? One minute on the clock. Your time starts now. Okay. Uh, I guess the, first of all, it's petty as I was going to swear again, but I will not. It's petty. We all know it. I know the argument uh, that everybody's going to have at this, right? He's a businessman. He's doing what's good for his business. GSP won't fight for Why would him go? Would he let him go fight for a rival? Like, it makes no sense. I uh, agree with that to the extent that that is the reality of facts. Uh, I don't think that excuses it. GSP did enormous things for that company. He came back for, for a title again. He established his legacy in MMA. And I feel like somebody who cherished that role that he had should have respected GSP's wishes and let him fight. He's not going to come back. Oh, he won't come back for Habib, so he shouldn't come back for this. I don't like this. Um, as protecting his legacy, oh my God, I have 10 seconds. I don't. I don't think he would hurt his legacy to lose a fight in boxing. I don't know how many years later. I just, and I don't know if he necessarily would lose. So no, I don't think the legacy was protected. All right. Good answer. The music Good answer. is really stressful. It's game show-esque. This is what we do here. We take this oh very, very God. seriously. My armpits are sweaty. <laughs> uh, some mental warfare here, Jed Mishu. So same question for you. We have Triller. We know you enjoy some Triller. We got Delahoya. You have GSP. We have Dana White. What have you made of this whole thing? And ultimately, is this a good thing that Dana is not allowing GX GSP to go box a 52-year-old man? Not from a dollars and cents place because it would have been a great payday for GSP, but from a legacy perspective, is he doing GSP a favor by not allowing this to happen? So one minute on the clock. Your time starts now. No, he's not doing him a favor because Legacy don't pay bills, man. You know, it does cold, hard cash. And GSP would have gotten a lot of that to box Oscar De La Hoya. More importantly, he's not doing any favor because this would have been awesome. It was on this very program, Mike, where we talked about the Triller, Jake Paul, Ben Askren, and I poo-pooed it. I was like, man, I was poopy pants. Wasn't fun. I slowly got excited about it, and then I went to the damn thing, and it's the most fun I've had in ages. We talked a lot about how great, how ridiculous it was. This would have been like that to the next level, because you you heard Oscar at the Triller Fight Club. You know kind of where he's at in his life. 
not giving any Fs at all. He's 50-some-odd years old. Would have thought, I can come in here and work this dude who's never boxed. DSP would have taken it very seriously and tried to jab him. Been fun as hell. And, like, maybe DSP probably doesn't win, but, like, maybe he looks competitive. Either way, it would have been a spectacle. And that's what I'm here for. I'm here for the spectacles. And Dana and his curmudgeonness took it from me. That's <laughs> trash. Okay. All right. So we're going to let Casey gather himself. We'll see how the peeps are viewing this all. And uh, I'm going to throw in some quick programming notes while this all occurs. First off, no UFC, no Bellator this weekend. That means no on to the next one this weekend because there's nothing to freaking matchmake for that we would typically matchmake for. So we'll be back Sunday, June 6th on that show following UFC Vegas 28. They are putting a barn burner together, headlined by Jarzinho Rosenstrike and Augusto Sakai. Also, due to the long holiday weekend and also the fact that the Eck family is We're getting an adopted... barn burner together and then you say Augusto Sakai. What a legend you are, Mike. I can't. I was like, how is nobody reacting to what I'm just saying right now? Because it's so good. Uh, but we're getting an adopted dog on Monday. So what the heck's going to push back a day to Wednesday morning uh, this coming week instead of Tuesday? So one time thing, back to normal the following week. And then uh, this show, nothing happens to this show next week. We'll be back on Thursday. So with that out of the way, let us turn it over to the Honorable Casey Lydon to announce the winner and the individual leaving the virtual BTL arena with the strap. And I feel like Casey's in an interesting position right now because not only is he for himself, he's got the iconic voice of Esther Lynn probably in his ear as well. And if he doesn't make the right decision, at least according to her, this could affect his day-to-day -day life as well. But is he willing <laughs> to put that all aside for the sake of honest rulings here? Casey, who got it done? This was tough. Dang, this is tough. Oh, man. Okay, okay. Oh, I don't have... I, I can't make a decision yet. Crap. <laughs> Dang. Oh, okay, okay. Your winner... <laughs> I don't like saying it. And still, Jed Mishu. Jed Mishu gets it Ooh. done. I was stressed out waiting for that. And I, I had nothing to do with it. I had less pressure than literally anybody else, and I was totally stressed out waiting <laughs> for that decision being read. So that was okay, one okay. heck of a debut performance from Miss Baratas, just one heck of a performance. Yeah. Unfortunately, Hell yeah. she does get the L, but I mean, just just a great performance. Round of applause, round of applause. I feel like Thank if you, we had, <laughs> go ahead. I said it when I came in that I wasn't really expecting anything. I just wanted to, you know, go all five rounds, have a, a valiant effort. So I'm, I'm happy with this result. I had a worthy competitor. I'm gonna, you know, go back, talk to my team, uh, adjust those, you know, tighten up those, those, those loose ends, and come back better next time. 
There you go. That was you're like the Yoani and Jacek in this scenario against the Zhang Wei Li that is Jed Mashu. Just a fight of the decade. And I and I will say this: if there is a BTL like tag team tournament, I think Jed and Fernando would be a, a very formidable team. I think they'd be very tough to beat in this scenario. Oh, but Jed, you could speak more about that, or uh, perhaps maybe more about what's on your T-shirt and the big news from Fight Circus earlier this week. You have 30 seconds to talk about whatever it is you want. Good, bad, and different in the sport of mixed martial arts. The floor is yours. First, I love the tag team idea. I'm not confident that I play well enough with others to be good at tag team this, but we should do that at some point. That seems awesome. Uh, but more importantly, it's back, baby! Fight Circus has a date June 19th, they had to postpone Fight Circus 3, fisting for dollars because of COVID restrictions in Thailand. However, it is back June 19th in your eye hole. It's going to be awesome. They're still going to have the phone booth Muay Thai fight. That is a Muay Thai fight in a phone booth. It's exactly what it sounds like. It's everything you could ever want. They're doing Siamese boxing. We're going to tie two dudes together to then box two other dudes who are tied together. It is it's the best thing going in mixed martial arts. Like, it's really, it just is. There's no other way to put it. At some point, they're going to do something that is no longer acceptable. But for now, I'm going to watch Bob Sock and John Nutt coach a bunch of fighters with some random rules that we still aren't clear on. And maybe the best thing about Fight Circus, the secret bonus fights. They give you secret bonus fights that they don't promote beforehand. Just a happy little... Have a little explosion of excitement that you weren't ready for. Fight Circus 3, baby. It's back. I mean, how, how can you not order right now? I, I don't, you just just don't watch it. What, what's the rule? What's the rule when watch a Fight Circus? Don't use your business computer? Oh, oh don't, don't use your business computer. <laughs> at all. Incognito oh. mode is your friend. It sure is. And have a private checker. Like, have yeah, one of those. Every, I will. Can I say one thing before we go, just to get it out yes. of my conscience? My fiance was listening. He's not home. He was listening. He wanted to set the record straight that he has Valerie in tenth and Hannah Guy in eighth on the rank. He texted me to let me know. <laughs> Good work. All right. Before we go. All right. I listen. We're not. We're not. It's just there. You know. We know there's many individuals involved and. uh there you go. So he did he did it right, I guess. Hopefully Vanessa Porto is like in the top five somewhere and we'll go from there. I know she hasn't had a Bellator fight yet, at least from my not to my knowledge. So but she, it's about to happen. But listen, we're getting out of here. Thank you for watching and listening. Truly appreciate it. I do want to uh I do want to shout out my beautiful wife, Holly. Happy ninth anniversary, my dear. She is she is stuck with me for nine years. She deserves some sort of global prize for that. No doubt about that. But uh until then, we'll see you next week. Right back here on Between the Links for Jed, Fernanda, for Casey. I am Mike Heck. The iconic voice takes you out. Good night, everybody. This Love has been guys. Between the Links. I'm Esther Lynn. You know this because I say my name every time I speak. Thanks for watching. Click like and subscribe and all that stuff. Follow me on TikTok. Ah! You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Support for this show comes from HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. 
because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.